And now I will introduce today's special guest. What a difference a year can make. It was just a year ago, in June of 2008, that the Investment Dealers Association of Canada merged with Market Regulation Services to create the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada, or IROC. IROC's job is to oversee and regulate all the investment dealers and trading activity on debt and equity marketplaces in Canada. It's responsible for protecting investors and strengthening market integrity, while at the same time maintaining efficient and competitive capital markets across the country. Our guest will tell us more about that. Our guest is Susan Wahlberg-Jenna, the person who is appointed to create and lead this complex and powerful organization. One that has so much responsibility, yet at times almost paradoxical mandates. Anyone who's ever been involved in restructuring a business or organization will tell you that it can be a daunting task. But in Susan's case, getting IROC up and running uh, last summer, as challenging as I'm sure it was, was probably a cakewalk compared with what was to come. Just a few months later, as Canadians watched the value of their investment portfolios nosedive, she must have wondered what she had gotten herself into. On the plus side, Canadian investment and financial systems have held their own and not experienced the carnage in, of those in other parts of the world. Experts say the reason that Canada came through this crisis was with less than mortal wounds was because of the processes, principles, and rigor that our regulators, like the IROC, have put into place. Nevertheless, some tough questions have been raised and some fundamental issues have surfaced even here. Issues about basic fiduciary responsibilities and practices. Questions about the inherent honesty and transparency of our investment and financing systems. And concerns about consumer confidence and trust in our institutions. No one could be better qualified to manage all of this than Susan. She came to IROC having been president of one of its seed organizations, the Investment Dealers Association. A lawyer by profession, she spent 20 years with the Ontario Securities Commission, and before that, she served as its vice chair from 2004 to 2007, and as acting chair from July to November 2005. It's been said that Susan Wahlberg-Jenna has a penchant for focusing on issues of market integrity and investor protection fundamental principles that have proven to be particularly important in today's economic times. So what's next? How will Canadians learn, uh, how will what we've learned in the past several months affect Canada's future in financial services? And how can IROC help us prevent a crisis like this from happening again? I'm sure she'll tell us. Ladies and gentlemen, please join us in welcoming the President and CEO of IROC, Susan Wahlberg-Jenna. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you so much, Helen, for that very kind introduction. I'd also like to extend my thanks to BLG for sponsoring this, this terrific event. It really is an honour to have been invited to address the Canadian Club. Uh, for those who know me, I should start by saying at the table, have all been looking at their watch and saying, are you going to be an hour? So, <laughs> I promise I will not. We have been living through a period of un unprecedented market turmoil. You don't need me to tell you that. It's been described as a liquidity crisis, a credit crisis, and a crisis of confidence. Investors, as well as industry participants, have experienced significant market volatility and uncertainty. 
Regulators and governments in Canada and abroad are taking a variety of unprecedented measures to shore up a global financial system which as a whole was dangerously undercapitalized and overleveraged. Many have spoken about the comparative strength of Canada's financial system. The Canadian government has not had to bail out any financial institutions. No large Canadian investment dealers have exhibited the kind of liquidity problems that were experienced elsewhere. The virtually overnight collapse of Lehman Brothers and hastily arranged sale of Bear Stearns are the most oft-mentioned examples. That said, we need to understand our comparative, our comparative strengths without any sense of complacency. There are lessons for regulators, policymakers, industry participants and investors that emerge out of this crisis, both in Canada and abroad. As memories of this period of economic turmoil fade, the collective challenge for regulators and industry working together is to realign incentives that will encourage desired behaviour through compensation structures, enterprise-wide risk management strategies, and a more long-term focus on sound business practices and overall customer satisfaction. Some 70 years ago, Louis Brandeis wrote a book entitled Other People's Money and How the Bankers Use It. It inspired President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal reformers to introduce the Glass-Steagall and securities exchange legislation and to establish the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. With his famous quote, sunlight is said to be the best of disinfectants, Brandeis called for greater transparency, a call that was heeded by legislators at the time. Markets will always be too complex and often a few steps ahead of even the most powerful systemic regulator to fully control. Transparent markets where participants are informed are essential to fair and efficient markets. As we work to rebuild confidence in the capital markets, the timeless principles of transparency, fairness and accountability should serve as guideposts to regulatory reform. In my remarks today, I will focus on some of the issues raised by recent events, the principles which should guide reform efforts, and the role IROC plays in the Canadian securities regulatory system. Let me begin with the role of IROC. IROC's mandate is to set and enforce high-quality regulatory and industry standards, protect investors, and strengthen market integrity while maintaining efficient and competitive capital markets. We carry out these responsibilities under the oversight of the Canadian Securities Administrators, Canada's provincial and territorial securities regulators. With a staff of 404 offices, we regulate the practices of 214 member firms and their 30,558 registered employees in 5,726 head office and branch offices across Canada. Like Canada's provincial and territorial regulators, we are a market conduct regulator. This means, among other things, that we make sure that our firms have procedures in place to properly supervise the handling of client accounts. But we are also a prudential regulator. We monitor the financial safety and soundness of our member firms to ensure they have sufficient capital for the nature and extent of their business activities and that client assets are protected in the event of insolvency. Last year, we conducted 287 financial and business conduct on-site reviews. We regulate trading activities on Canada's six equity marketplaces and three exchanges. Our enforcement staff investigate complaints against those we regulate and when rules are broken, they bring disciplinary action. 
Given recent market conditions, it should come as no surprise that the number of complaints we receive has been rising. And visits to the section of our website entitled Making a Complaint have increased by 210% in the last two months. In this environment, our proposed new complaint handling standards for member firms are both timely and relevant. We require all our members to participate in an ombud service, known as OBSI, as well as an independent arbitration system, both of which are accessible at the option of the client, to resolve disputes between a client and his or her advisor. We are currently reviewing our arbitration system to assess usage since the introduction and expansion of OBSI to cover securities and investment complaints and to identify improvements. As part of this review, we will consider whether the compensation limit of $100,000, which was set many, many years ago, is too low. June 1st will be IROC's first year anniversary. It has been a busy first year of operations as we work to integrate the predecessor IDA and Market Regulation Services, Inc. Like other regulators, we too have responded to the challenges posed by the current market crisis. Throughout this period, we've closely monitored the regulatory capital position of all member firms. We've increased our regular monitoring of trading activities. We stepped up the surveillance of short sale activity in particular and produced two studies on short sale activity in Canada and the impact of the short sale ban in the fall of 2008. Our market surveillance staff have been paying special attention for signs of potential price or market manipulation over this period. <coughs> We undertook an analysis of what is publicly known about the Madoff and Stanford cases in the United States, comparing identified concerns to our own requirements, practices, and procedures. As Richard Ketchum, CEO of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, or FINRA as it's known, which is our U.S. counterpart, stated recently, Madoff's actions highlighted how someone with a comprehensive understanding of the regulatory system could cynically design his schemes to fit between the jurisdictional bracket regulatory end of bracket cracks and thus reduce the likelihood of detection, end of quote. Our review was designed to identify the safeguards IROC has in place or could implement to address the potential for regulatory arbitrage. The recent crisis has generally underscored the need for regulators to collaborate effectively and share information. Coordination with domestic and foreign regulators on enforcement matters is already extensive. We have a staff member fully dedicated to responding to the ever-increasing number of information requests from agencies like FINRA and the SEC. Last year, for example, our staff responded to 1,922 such inquiries, a 166% increase over the previous year. We've also been strengthening our ties with other regulators, both domestic and foreign, to facilitate the effective flow of information and intelligence more generally. For example, we recently signed a Memorandum of Understanding with FINRA, which establishes a formal basis for our two organizations to cooperate with each other, for the, including for the exchange of information and general assistance on issues that we're dealing with. And now, a few words about regulatory reform. Policymakers and regulators around the world are considering how to address gaps that create an unlevel playing field and which expose markets and investors to systemic risk. These discussions appear to be focused on three essential issues. One, how to define and effectively oversee significant activities which have developed largely unchecked 
over the past couple of decades and have been described as a shadow banking system. This exercise involves determining the appropriate perimeter and scope of regulatory oversight. The attention of policymakers thus far has been primarily focused on hedge fund activity, credit ratings, short sale activity, and mortgage lending standards, particularly in the US. Number two, what products are unregulated or underregulated? Debates have focused on how to bring derivatives, particularly over-the-counter derivatives, securitized products such as asset-backed commercial paper, structured credit products such as CDOs, and credit default swaps, CDSs, this industry loves acronyms, under the regulatory umbrella. Three, and lastly, if regulation is necessary, to what end? If we do not respond thoughtfully to this question, we risk unleashing new regulations that fail to address the underlying root causes of the recent crisis, offer little hope of addressing tomorrow's issues, and may result in unintended consequences. Several months ago, the U.S. Treasury Secretary outlined a proposed framework for regulatory reform, which is very simple but quite thoughtful. The framework is to be built on the following basic components. One, addressing systemic risk. This crisis has driven home that some firms have not only become too big to fail, but too interconnected to fail. These large interconnected firms and markets need to be brought within regulatory oversight. Number two, protecting consumers and investors. When consumers and investors make decisions to invest in the markets, they need to be confident that the rules are fair. Number three, eliminating gaps in the regulatory structure. The regulatory system needs to assign clear authority, resources, and accountability for each of its key functions. And lastly, fostering international coordination to keep pace with increasingly global markets. It is important to establish broadly consistent international standards for financial regulation. While industry pillars have been dismantled in many jurisdictions, including Canada and the US for some time, regulation tends to be based on historical distinctions that may no longer correspond to the way some financial institutions carry on business. We tend to regulate based on the legal status of an entity rather than the nature of the business activities that it undertakes. This approach may lead to both gaps and overlaps across the system and result in similar products and services being subject to differing regulation and varying standards of consumer protection. The recent crisis has also brought home the profound realization that not only capital but risk flows freely across borders. And some institutions were evidently not just too big to fail, but too interconnected to fail. It is therefore understandable that so much of the focus at the G20 table to date has been on containing systemic risk and the need to identify, effectively monitor, and oversee the activities of systemically important financial institutions and market participants. However strong and robust a, a framework for macroprudential regulation may be, it is not a substitute for sound microprudential and market conduct regulation. In a recent speech delivered at the May 2009 Financial Services Forum, Tiff Macklem, Associate Deputy Minister of Department of Finance, the Federal Department of Finance, said the following, macroprudential regulation is a supplement. The first line of defense is sound regulation, institution by institution, product by product. A healthy financial system is made up of healthy institutions. End of quote. So how do we ensure a sound system of individual institutions and products? 
by stressing the importance of robust standard setting and oversight in the areas of business practice, market conduct, and overall consumer protection. I recently attended an international meeting of self-regulatory organizations, and many there spoke of a return to more conservative and less complex business models, products, and strategies. There is no doubt some truth in this observation for the moment, but markets will recover and lessons from the crisis will fade from memory. To complement regulatory reform, it is therefore critical to focus on the role of the industry in adopting a culture that will lead to sustainable financial stability and enhanced investor protection. Of course, regulation has an important role to play, and regulators need to set the bar high, both for ourselves as well as those we regulate. But regulators cannot single-handedly create the right corporate culture that shapes day-to-day decision-making. In this regard, recent testimony at a U.S. Senate committee by TD Bank Financial Group President and CEO Ed Clark bears repeating. He said, quote, It is unlikely that a regulatory system on its own can solve all the problems. A mix of sound regulation and sound business practices from financial institutions is required, end of quote. The right tone at the top has never been more important. Regulation cannot rebuild and maintain investor confidence and trust in the financial system without it. We should also remember that the regulatory pendulum does have a tendency to swing. As markets rebound, we should not underestimate the commitment which will be required to implement broadly agreed upon G20 principles of reform. I recall that only a few short years ago, the debates in the U.S. were about how to lighten the burden of post-SOX regulation to stem the flow of business elsewhere and enhance the competitiveness of the U.S. financial system. How quickly things can change. Historically, too much trust was placed in the ability of markets and industry participants to police themselves. The world took note when Alan Greenspan recently acknowledged that he made the mistake of presuming institutions could be trusted to police themselves and were capable of protecting their own shareholders and their equity. Clearly, every institution has a duty to monitor its own operations and capital allocation, risk-taking and risk management functions, but self-policing is not a substitute for sound regulation, nor is it self-regulation. When I refer to self-regulation, I mean an external body that one, sets standards, two, monitors members for compliance with those standards, and three, takes appropriate action when those standards are not met. Mandatory membership, strong industry support, and active engagement are critical ingredients to effective self-regulation. Governmental oversight of SRO activities through a transparent process provides an effective means of ensuring accountability. SROs must operate within a system of checks and balances while retaining enough of the self in self-regulation to preserve their unique value. The perceived conflict of interest in a self-regulatory process can be dealt with through a commitment to transparency, disclosure, fairness, and accountability. These values are central to how we must carry out our responsibilities and deal with our stakeholders at IROC. In conclusion, Effective market conduct regulation and investor protection are critically important in current discussions of regulatory reform. The first line of defense is sound regulation of institutions, products, and business practices. Rebuilding investor confidence in capital markets begins here. Prudential regulation is focused on keeping individual institutions and the overall financial system solvent. In future, 
there will clearly be more focus on identifying and managing systemic risk across the financial system, both nationally and internationally. The twin peaks of prudential and market conduct regulation are equally important to building and maintaining confidence in fair and transparent capital markets. IROC is committed to working with the CSA and our other regulatory partners, industry participants, and the investing public to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of the regulatory system and the overall integrity of the Canadian capital markets. I appreciate this opportunity to speak to you today. Thank you. My name is Gordon Rahman and I'm a director of the Canadian Club and I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Susan. Susan, it was a pleasure to have you join us here today. In a crisis of confidence as you've described this current economy, it seems that just about everyone is a stakeholder. Government and politicians, banks, brokers and analysts, right down to ordinary people who are trying to pay off their mortgages, put their kids through school and save for retirement. For ordinary people particularly, the entire financial system and the regulations that govern it can be overwhelmingly complicated. And when we don't understand, we expect and fear the worst. It takes qualified, knowledgeable, and experienced professionals to guide us, tell us what we're dealing with, and how to treat it. People we know we can trust. And while it may take some time and a lot of expensive medicine to treat it, we are all very relieved that the situation is probably not terminal. Susan, thank you again, and thank you to all of our guests for joining us here today. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. This meeting is now adjourned. <laughs>